This is the St. Louis Podcast Network. You're listening to the Last Man Up Podcast, part of the St. Louis Podcast Network. Matt Berger, Clay Byers, Dorford, A.D. Hanselman alongside. Wherever you are listening to us, whenever you are listening to us, we hope you are well. Joining us on the phone will be play-by-play announcer for your St. Louis Cardinals and St. Louis University Billikens on Fox Sports Midwest. Uh, he's also the host of Scoops with Danny Mac. Dan McLaughlin will be joining us a little wow. bit later on today. Big, yeah, who, big, big time big, get. Big time I mean, get. Uh, big time get. Not that all of our guests are big time gets. This one just feels a little bit bigger. Might be the biggest one. Him or London? Who's the biggest one? Oh, Physic- Physically, London is bigger than Dan. Oh, I don't think so. Dan's a pretty big guy. Dan's tall. Dan's tall. London's only London's like my height. London's like five ten. Yeah, but how much does he weigh? Who are you picking in a fight? Dan oh, Mack well, or well no. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big London in a fight, <laughs> of course. But as far as stature goes, I mean, like as far as celebrity, we were talking about that the other day. There's, or I heard Tim talking about what it was. I heard saying that there's other play-by-play jobs, and then there's the Cardinals play-by-play job. As, as as far as baseball goes, it's got to be cream what? of the crop. It's got to be top five. Absolutely top five. Well, number one, of, of course, is going to be the Yankees. Be right. Big and two is the Dodgers. Two is yeah. the Dodgers. Three is probably the Cubs. Yeah, I don't even know about that anymore. No, probably still the Cubs. You're, it's still Chicago. It's still a major market. Yeah. You got to think about, I, I guess if you think about like in, in terms of radio, where the 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 spread that Camel X had or has at night so people here in John Rooney down to Mississippi and Tennessee That's true. and up to okay. and, over, and, uh, and over to Iowa and Oklahoma. I mean, those are huge, huge cardinal countries. Yep. Huge cardinal countries, but you add the population of all those states, it's still going to be smaller than Chicago. Oh, probably. So, but, yeah. If you're talking about square mileage-wise... It's Dan McLaughlin. It's Dan McLaughlin. It's a bigger job. I think they even broadcast cardinal baseball down in the, in the neck of the woods on do. cable. They, they do. do. Yeah. yeah. They do. But... Um, yeah, I mean it's it's outside of the top markets. It's got to be four or five. Yeah, I'd well, say like we said one Yankees, two Dodgers, three I think Chicago, the Cubs, four maybe San Francisco, and five probably the Cardinals. I was watching sixty minutes the other day, and kind of along size market sizes, Houston is about ready to overtake Chicago as the third biggest city in the I country. Yeah. Houston is huge. A lot of people, huge. Were, a lot a lot people, of people don't know that. There. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea it was that big of a, of a town. Yeah. It's huge. Houston maybe. is huge. I've heard that the, the traffic in Houston is almost worse than what it is in Los Angeles. And another thing, too, that people don't realize about Houston, like, if pe- the, the average person probably couldn't has no idea where Houston is on the map. They just know it's in Texas. Right. They don't know that it's right along the Gulf of Mexico. It is. Yep. They don't know that. Galveston, Houston, right Galveston, there. Galveston, right there. And another thing about Houston is that the humidity in Houston is horrible. But people's, horrible. people still want to live there. They still do. People still want to live here, too, and the humidity sucks. And they won't live here because it's also four degrees in February. <laughs> it's going to be four degrees, I heard, uh, in the next couple of days. It's going to start yeah. getting kind of cold. Um, so since last we spoke. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, the Missouri Tigers, they got kicked in the nuts by an, a very overrated Kentucky Wildcats team. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> tell your tell your girl, Anna Maria, that the Kentucky Wildcats football team is overrated. They're overrated. They are so overrated. Fighting words. If they, I know they're overrated, they're overrated. They're overrated. <laughs> and they got beat on the like the literal last play of the game. They did. I and, mean, someone was saying, hey, uh, it's, it's, there's no time left in the fourth quarter. Who's winning? Well, Missouri is. Yeah. Oh, but who won the game? Kentucky. Kentucky. <laughs> Untimed un- down on a, on a bullshit Pass interference call. Uh, I was a little surprised Odom survived that job, considering when you saw the reaction of Mizzou AD Jim Sterk on the sideline, yeah. who said shit like 20 times yeah. after it happened. I'm like, Odom may not survive this. Well, if they had lost at Florida, no doubt. And then they fired. go down to Florida. I'm like, look, look at the way the team responded. That's how you know that maybe you need to keep him Is that, was as that, much as everybody wants to get rid of him. Do you think there would have been a midseason firing? I mean, it would be really, really hard to defend him keeping the job. If, at, if at they would have gone down to Gainesville, even though at the time Florida was number eleven, mm-hmm. they were eleventh ranked team in the nation. They're, yeah, they're another overranked team. Very they're much so. Terrible. I'm starting to side with Danny Cannell when it comes to the SEC schools and how like they're so overrated uh, because just because of the SEC, everybody thinks they're automatically superior to the rest of the nation, right. and they really aren't. Right. But had they gone down to Florida and got completely waxed 
by by uh, by the Gators, Odom would have been in trouble. But they played their best game under Barry Odom yep. easily. That is the best game I've seen the Tigers play under head coach Barry Odom ever. Drew Locke looked the best he's probably looked all if, year. If you, if you were an NFL scout watching that game, That's you're like, good. this is the right. kid that we want to see. Right. If this is the kid that we can get – you know, most of the games of the year, this is the kid that we're going to draft. We may not take him in the first round, but we'll definitely take him in the second round. Yeah. He, he's a pro prospect. No as doubt. much as Plowsy wants to bang on him on Twitter, Drew Locke is a pro prospect. I'm oh, saying, he absolutely is. I'm not saying he's going to be ready to start on day one, no. but he's got, he's got the size. Yep. Got the he's, arm. He's got the arm strength, and he's athletic enough where he can scramble and get a first down. Now, he's not Cam Newton. He's no. not Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's not Russell Wilson, but, I mean, he's not a statue back there. No. He can move. No, he's going to be the Chase Daniel of the NFL again. Well, no. I don't know about that. He's not going to be – I don't think he'll be a career backup. Someone uh, – But, I mean, if he is, so what? I mean, what? how much money has Chase Daniel made? Well, okay, I mean – He's throwing throw 87 passes and made 20 – Five million dollars on. Okay, it's made as much about Sam Bradford as made and <laughs> Sam Bradford. Okay, no but I don't, think, wow. I don't think when Chase Daniels signed his NFL contract, I don't think he was crossing his fingers hoping God. I hope <laughs> God. I hope I'm a career backup. God, I hope. I even, know. Even, even though he's made the money and he's played behind some of the best quarterbacks, and he doesn't have absolutely, and he doesn't, and he doesn't have the CTE. There's no concussions because he hasn't been well, hit. Sure, that's, he's, that's, he's, there's your silver lining. He's set up for post NFL career. Absolutely, he is. But think about this though. Had they not all of a sudden gotten allergic to water in Columbia, South Carolina, and lost that game against the Gamecocks, yep. and then screw the pooch two weeks ago with the Kentucky Wildcats, that means that their two losses this year would be to Alabama and Georgia. Not bad. Not, Both of the, Alabama, the best college team in the nation, and then Georgia's, what, top six, seven? I think they're five now. They're five now. Okay. Yep. They were so lucky they, to get out of West Lafayette with a win at Purdue. Never apologize for winning on the road. <laughs> Seriously. You think I'm making a joke? But never apologize for winning on the road. Matt Berger is going to die on the Mizzou football hill. I'm just saying. I'm. I'm not. No, I'm not here to tell <laughs> you they're better than what they are. Bury me under the rocks. Bury me under the rocks. I'm Matt Berger. I'm not here to tell you that they're better than what they actually are, but they'd be seven and two. The, things can they be, would be seven and two. They'd be, be seven and two. Dramatically different. I saw that uh, the other day, and it, it's hard to even imagine that being said because that they, they at times have looked anemic on both offense and defense, and you you look at that team being. Possibly seven and two, and just astounds you. It's crazy to think would they, about. Would they be in the mix for the SEC East Championship, or no? They wouldn't because they, they no, lost no. It's, it's, because they lost well, to Georgia. They, they lost to Georgia. They lost to Georgia. Yeah, so like Georgia already won the SEC East, right? right. So it's going to be them and Alabama playing for the title game again. Yeah. Um, no, but there's no doubt in my mind that they'd be considering that we just talked about the SEC bias, right? When it comes to rankings, they no doubt would be a, a top twenty-five team, if not maybe a top twenty team, if not maybe even a top fifteen team. If their only two losses were to um, Alabama, and Alabama Georgia. and Georgia, and they beat a ranked Kentucky team, and they beat uh, and they beat a ranked Florida team, put yes. them in the Fiesta Bowl. That's where they belong. Is <laughs> the Fiesta Bowl? They got a vote this week in the poll. Did they really they get a vote? Top no twenty-five vote. They got one vote. Speaking of college football, we said it, we talked about this two weeks ago. Is anybody going to be Bama? No. I, no. I had hopes that LSU would at least maybe give them a game. Saturday night, it's in Death Valley. You know, one of the loudest arenas in all of college football. It's the Tigers. They were the what at the time the number fourth ranked team in the right. nation. Right. Here we go. And that LSU offense is awful. LSU is another overrated team. Their defense is good. Their offense is bad. Yep. That's what it is. When I saw that like their starting quarterback only had like six touchdowns or eleven touchdowns on the season, what's I'm that? like, what's that guy's name? Barrow, something like that. Yeah. Joe Barrow, Joe Barrow, Matt Barrow, Matt Barrow, <laughs> <laughs> Joe Barrow, and I'm like, no, this this isn't going to happen. And when Alabama scored that that second or third touchdown, I'm like, yeah. LSU is not going to score four touchdowns. Not against this Alabama defense. Not the way this offense looks. Yeah, so Alabama, Alabama's on a whole other stratosphere. Yep. The only team that's got a chance, in my opinion, is Clemson. Yep. That's it. They're the yeah. only ones. And you know, Saban, that national championship game is going to dial up that defense and that freshman absolutely against that freshman. It's going to be not pretty. It's going to be ugly. Not pretty. Are we getting to the point where I saw Charlie Marlowe tweet this? Is Alabama bad for college football? Not yet. No. Because I think the day that uh, Alabama's, as long as Saban is there, going to be a, a perennial contender every single year, year in, year out. Now, when they go on multiple years of just beating everybody, you know it it doesn't make college football look look bad, and just makes other teams look bad because they can't recruit as well as Saban. They can't do all this. 
But no, I love the fact that they're you know essentially almost like the New England Patriots of they're, that, they're, like people love to hate them, but there's no real reason to hate them other than the fact that they just kick your ass. They're, they're a sports villain. There's no, no question. And I mean, and we're, we'll talk about this when we have Dan McLaughlin on. I mean, sports needs villains. It does. It's, it's, it's great to have it like everybody's the good guy and you want to cheer for them. But sports needs villains. Just like any other thing that you watch on TV, you need the antagonist or you need the protagonist. Yep. The antagonist is very important. Alabama, where do you, whether you like it or not, they are the antagonist. They cause everybody else to step up their game. That and, I mean, they get a lot of coaches fired because, you know, why can't you beat Nick Saban? Right. Why, why aren't you Nick Saban? Because like, <laughs> there's only one. There's only one of them. It's the same thing with Bill Belichick. How many AFC East coaches has that man gotten fired? Because they can't seem to beat the Patriots in the AFC East. Right. But, I mean, when you have one of the best quarterbacks of, of all time, time, that tends to help. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the NFL, did we learn anything about the from the Rams-Saints game? Uh, is it a result of just any given Sunday? Or do we know that the Saints are now definitely or the top team, uh, even, even though it was a close game? The Saints are the best team right now in the NFC. It was the Rams. Now they got the same record. The, the Saints have beaten the Rams. Yep. Do you think right now New Orleans Saints, now especially now they have Des Bryant, are they the best team right now in the NFC? It would be hard to argue otherwise. I mean, they have now with Des Bryant playmakers across the board. You look at Kamara, you look at Ingram, uh, Michael Thomas is you know arguably the if not one of the best receivers in the NFL. Um, you know, Des Bryant is a former Pro Bowler. You know, yeah. he's going to add nothing. But that, that good- is such such a great. Mid-season pickup, right. late-season pickup for the Saints is Des Bryant. Kudos to Des Bryant for playing that situation out the way that it, it has. I mean, he obviously made a lot of noise in the offseason. There was possibility he was going to go to the Cleveland Browns, of all, which now looking back that he signed with the Saints makes me laugh. That, yeah, you think about it. <laughs> he was this close to signing with the Browns, who are now, what, like 2-6 two, two or something? Surprised that it's taken this long for Des Bryant to sign with the team, considering that he's still a—I mean, he's, he's not the same Des as what he used to be, but he's still a talented player. No, because I think he's a polarizing figure in the, in the sense that he knows that he's coming towards, I won't say the tail end of his career, but he wanted to go to a place that he is going to win. He's not going to go to a franchise that's going to, you know, want to rebuild. He's not going to want to spend three or four years. He wants to be in a place in one or two years where he's got a shot to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, now he's got Drew Brees as his quarterback, who happens to be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. So um, if you're in the New Orleans Saints, you're Des Bryant, you're feeling pretty good about where you stand right now, especially after, you know, they they uh, trounced the Rams on S- Sunday. Speaking of the Rams, that defense added a lot of pieces. And the offseason. They added Adamic and Sue. Yep. They got Akeem Tlaib. They got Marcus Peters. They already have Aaron Donald. I mean, that defense was already good to begin with. You got Wade Phillips, who's a great defensive coordinator. Just got Dante Fowler. Now they traded for Dante Fowler. Uh, but yet the defense is not dominant. I mean, we were talking before we started recording. The Rams' defense is, what, 20th? Yep. As far as yardage goes yep. in the NFL, that is not a dominant defense. Now, I mean, can they get a stop when they need a stop? Yeah, they can. They didn't this past Sunday though against uh against the Saints, but they've given up a lot of points to a lot of teams who really aren't that good. Yep. Like Seattle. Well, when you let up we and we talked about this before the show too, when you let up over 100 yards per game on the ground, it does not bode well for your defense as a whole. One obviously because you're letting people run right up the gut, run all over you. But then it sets up the pass and you saw that with New Orleans on Sunday is uh, you know, a lot of play action stuff, a lot of Drew Brees fake handoffs, bombs for, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field. The Michael Thomas touchdown towards the end of the game was... That I was mean, the dagger. That was the dagger, yeah. obviously. But um, they're they're still a very good football team. They have a lot of really solid pieces on defense. Um, but you see where those glaring holes are. They have a lot of the right... They have a lot of good pieces, just necessarily not the right pieces to uh, to really move forward. Sunday night, it was dubbed the uh, the GOAT versus the GOAT. Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Tom Brady got the best of that one. I'm always amazed at how the Packers have never surrounded Aaron Rodgers with at least competent skill position players. <laughs> I mean, he's got Jimmy Graham. Yep. I mean, Jimmy Graham's probably a borderline Hall of Fame tight end. Yep. Probably borderline. But other than that, who else has there been? I mean, as a franchise, you're fortunate enough to get to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Think yep. about that for a second. There, I mean, the Miami Dolphins are still searching for someone to replace Dan Marino, right. and Dan Marino t- retired like right around when I graduated college twenty years ago. And they passed on Drew Brees. They they did they did <laughs> they passed on Drew Brees. But I mean, like, think about that. Same thing with Buffalo. Yeah, Buffalo's still searching for someone to replace Jim Kelly. No doubt. 
So you're lucky enough to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and you surround him with Randall Cobb? Yeah. I mean, other than Devontae Adams, I, and it's not even that. Like so The coaching this season is almost Mike been, McCarthy. Oh, I, I'm, stunned Mike, I'm stunned Mike McCarthy has still has his job. I mean, the fact that uh, Aaron Jones is a really, really good player, and the fact that he does not touch the ball more is still us. I mean, they lost a game because of that. And then you have players like Ty Montgomery, you know, the bonehead play with the uh, touchback against the Rams yeah. a couple weeks well, ago. Well, he's supposed to take a touchback, and he right. ran it out, and he exactly. fumbled it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. The fact that he has not had a formidable uh, cast surrounding him, you know, will he will go down as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game from a numbers perspective, but it's astounding. We, we've talked about this just from watching him play. I have never seen anybody play the position, the quarterback position, better than Aaron Rodgers. As far as like actually playing it, Tom yeah. Brady's more accomplished. So is you know Joe Montana, right? Right. You know, I was say, what about you know the couple those guys? Those guys, for they're obviously more. There's, it's kind of like the whole Michael Jordan, LeBron James debate, right? Sure. Like Michael Jordan's got all the titles. He's got all the titles. He's got six of them, same as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Robert Ory's got seven. So you're, no one's going to say that Robert Ory is better than Michael Jordan. But well, no. You, but you get my, the point. I'm just talking about when you're watching them play the position, watching them play the game on the field, Aaron Rodgers is as good as I've ever seen. No, I mean, the the way that he's a guy that you want on your team late Absolutely. in the game. You want him in overtime. I mean, we've seen it countless times. Aaron Rodgers come back from you know, score deficits that, you know, broadcasters deem insurmountable. Oh, the Packers aren't coming back, and then Rodgers comes back and it, wins the game. Just the right amount of cocky. Right. Because, I mean, if, if you... To it's, play, a, it's a quiet arrogance. It, it's kind of like a fighter pilot. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're watching Top Gun. You know, you don't want somebody who's going to be so arrogant that he thinks, like, you know, like nothing applies to him, including, like, the rules of physics and gravity and stuff like that. But you want someone who's going to be confident enough that... You know, when they when you need for them to complete a play, right? He can complete the play. He just goes out and does it, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Yep, it's amazing. Did you say Top Gun, Top Gun, Ice Man. That's how he <laughs> flies. Ice cold, no mistakes. I don't like you because you're dangerous. <laughs> it, if, if, you, if you really love Top Gun, I do. I'm going to ruin Top Gun for you. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, throw it out. Well, I'm not going to do it. Quentin Tarantino's going to do it. There was a movie that came out like in the mid-90s called Sleep With Me. Okay. That Quentin Tarantino's in it. It's at this house party. And Tarantino goes on about how Top Gun is not really about fighter pilots. It's about a man coming to grips with his own homosexuality. And <laughs> while he is explaining why he feels that way. Who's gay? Iceman? Uh, no, Maverick is. Pete Mitchell. Iceman is, too. Oh, Iceman is, too. Iceman is, too, and about how, you know, you have Kelly McGillis, and he really wasn't attracted to Kelly McGillis until he walked into the elevator that one day when she had on the bomber jacket and the hair up in a cap, and I was like, oh, hey. You know, there's a reason why her hair is up in the cap. It's because her hair is brown, because she had already said that scene and the love scene were filmed after the uh, primary filming had already completed. So she was already on to uh, Road, no, not Roadhouse. The Accused. The Accused. Yeah, she wasn't in Roadhouse. Yeah, the was different. That was Kelly Lynch. Kelly Lynch. Um, but if you're a Top Gun fan, go to YouTube, type in Quentin Tarantino, "Sleep with Me," Top Gun, and he goes through his whole spiel about it. And I mean, it's hysterical because it's Quentin Tarantino, and you're yeah. watching. You're like, okay, this this actually. Oh, look, yeah, actually, this, this this actually makes a lot of sense. Joining us on the phone right now is the play-by-play announcer for your St. Louis Cardinals and also the St. Louis University Billikens on Fox Sports Midwest. He's also the host of Scoops with Danny Mac, which you can find at scoopswithdannymac.com. You can follow him on Twitter at TV. Dan McLaughlin, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Fantastic. Do you think this is what uh, John Mosaic is going to use whenever he's trying to woo uh, Bryce Harper (laughs) to sign a 10-year, $400 million contract with the Cardinals? He's going to lead in with a little Lionel Richie? Uh, I don't see why not. I mean, you know, a little uh, hello. Yeah. Is it $400 million million that you're looking for? (laughs) 
I've got all the money. You're <laughs> you know, why not? You know, the way I look at it, everywhere I go, people are asking me, you know, do you think it's going to happen? And um, I say, why not? It's not my money, so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to sign the checks, but I'd love to see it. I think like everybody else in it would be so exciting, and I, I can understand if you're a franchise, any franchise that signs uh, a player to a long-term deal, um, the the initial excitement would be awesome, and you'd probably get some great years out of that deal. And I think the concern would be on the back end of the deal, you know, thinking about uh, years seven, eight, nine, but, um, by the way, I'm in my car and there's a fire engine going by. So don't worry. That's not for me. Uh, <laughs> Dan McLaughlin calling so, us, anyway. Dan McLaughlin <laughs> calling us from Tom Hanks apartment in big. No, no, it's, it's all good. It's all good. So, fire engine's all good. All right. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think the excitement in this town, a baseball town for what I would term an affectionate term would be a baseball rat. I think he's the perfect fit, and he's really the perfect fit for their lineup and what they need. But um, in in years seven, eight, nine, and ten, for a guy that's in his mid thirties, presume and assume that he's not cheating, meaning he's not on PEDs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it could be an ugly deal at the end, but so you know the 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 finances really change and and things change at that point in the years. Um, so. Here's how I look at it. I'm a fan of the game. I don't sign the checks. I'd love to see it and exciting for the town. So I'd love to see it. Dan, is there is there a point where the Cardinals will stop pursuing him? I I think John Morosi or somebody uh, tweeted that somebody was going to offer um, Harper a 14 year contract. I mean, that's just insane. I think I think a 10 year deal for him is insane too. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's where you get uncomfortable. I, I think the Cardinals will kick the tires, so to speak, which is the term that you always hear. And then you get uncomfortable, I'm sure, anyway, at 10 years. And then when you get to 11 and 12, if you get to that point, that's really uncomfortable because then at that point, you know, a player's 37, 38. And by that time, you know, if a guy's not on the juice, which we assume now with drug testing, he's not. Um, then you're, you know, you're getting a normal human being when he's 38, you know, he's at this day and age, you're washed up more times than not, you know, eight out of nine, nine out of 10, those guys are done. Uh, and if you're paying a guy $35 million when he's 38, that's, that's not, that's not wise. Um, so yeah, I think at that point you're uncomfortable and you say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But you know, it takes one owner. It takes one owner to say, I want the guy I'm enamored. I want him. Took Tom Hicks, right? Took him to say, I'm willing to pay A-Rod $250 million, and the deal was done. So uh, I do think, though, sometimes these deals get done with the president of baseball operations or a GM not being in a room, and it's an agent and or a player sitting down with an owner, and an owner just gets wowed and enamored and says, I want this guy. I got to have him, and the deal gets done. But I, I don't see... Bill DeWitt being that type of owner, and, and you know, he, he's been pretty wise. The the Cardinals, for the most part, have been very, very prudent in, in how they've done their business decisions. And, you know, if it makes sense, they'll bring him here. I think they would stretch to do it, but I don't think they'd be stupid in doing it. Dan, I'm uh, curious, if not Harper, because I'm, I'm a uh, pessimist at heart, uh, if not Bryce Harper, who are some other options you know that the Cardinals might take a look at this winter? Obviously, you know Josh Donaldson's name has been thrown around. Andrew Miller, you know, in terms of bullpen relief, uh, I saw today. Um, talk to us about some options that the Cardinals may go if they can't land you know a Bryce Har- Harper or a Manny Machado. Well, I'd rather say it this way: I-, I think they can be creative because I don't think we know those names just yet. So. I- Instead of throwing out Mustakis and Donaldson and Miller, and I, and I know that any fan that's tuned into your show, I could list every name that they've probably heard. But I'll say it this way. I think they can be creative. I mean, the Cardinals have plenty of money. Uh, I think every team in baseball has plenty of money. Uh, the television contract is is very rich for every team. Um, they, they all made a lot of money on, on their dot-com deal. Uh, and, and the Cardinals are drawing a lot of people in terms of, of ticket sales. Now, having said all that, 
uh, every team deals with uh, how they want to hold their budgets, you know, how they deal with their budgets differently. But the Cardinals have what every team wants, which is pitching, and they've got a lot of it. So in terms of how creative they want to be, they can be extremely creative. So, for instance, if they wanted to move Paul DeYoung to third base and look at the shortstop market and trade some of their pitching to go out and get a shortstop, they could do that. Um, if they wanted to be creative and or aggressive in the free agency market with a third baseman, they could go out and do that. If they wanted to overpay for a left-hander in the, the bullpen, they could do that. So I, I look at, I mean, I hear all those names. So I'm not trying to sidestep your question. I just think they're open for business. And I think the one thing you have to keep in mind if you're a Cardinal fan is, look, they had a decent roster last year. But it wasn't good enough, and 88 wins is not a good is not good enough, and they've got to remake themselves going into the off, the off season, and so it's up to John Mozeliak and Michael Gersh to do that. Dan, here's the issue that I see with the Cardinals signing uh, Bryce Harper is that okay now we have this huge influx of outfielders. So what scenario do you see playing out where Ozuna is staying in left field, Bryce Harper plays center field, and Dexter Fowler plays right? Or is it going to be Bryce Harper plays right field, Harrison Bader plays center field, but if you have that happen, then what are you going to do with Dexter Fowler and his huge contract? And that's going to be money that you're going to put on top of the Bryce Harper contract, how much are you going to pay him? Because if you're another team and you kind of want Dexter Fowler, but you know that the Cardinals are stuck with him, you're going to make the Cardinals eat as much of that salary as they can before you make the trade, correct? It's the, the $48.5 million question is, you know, what do you do with Dexter Fowler? And I think that's what everybody is kind of wondering, you know, is there a marketplace right now with Dexter? And as we're talking um, in early November, I think John Mozeliak would say that Dexter Fowler is your starting right fielder now. And you brought up the, the, the big question. If you went out and got, you know, Bryce Harper, that changes everything. Um, a lot of times the way that those things are handled is that a team would say, Hey, I, I want, uh, player X and that player X would be Jack Flaherty or Dakota Hudson. And the Cardinals would say, okay, you want, you want that guy? Well, if you want that guy, you're going to have to take on this guy and we're going to have to split the salary or take on X amount of dollars, which is not, you know, usually something that the other team wants to do, but that's how you clear space. Um, the Cardinals are in a tough spot. They, they've got three years with Dexter Fowler left on the deal. As we speak right now, they're going to try to have to salvage something out of that contract. So let's just say, let's just play devil's advocate here and they don't get Bryce Harper. I And, and I know fans may not want to hear this, but the Cardinals are going to try to have to salvage that deal. And I would say, as we speak, going into opening day of 2019, Dexter Fowler would be the opening day right fielder. Now, having said that, in my opinion, and I have not heard, and this is just me being around the club and observing what I see, I, I thought there was a disconnect between the previous regime of, of Mike Matheny and his staff and Dexter Fowler. Now, I did not hear that from other people. That's what I observed. I thought Mike Schilt did the right thing, which was play him every day initially and try to get something out of him and try to get him going right. I, I think he's the kind of player you got to give him a pat on the back all the time and say, hey, man, you're in the lineup, lefty-righty, and let's let's get him going. And so in spring training, you got to see if he's healthy. you got to play him every day. And, and if it doesn't work the first couple of months or three months um, and it's not working, then, then you sit them and you make the necessary adjustments. Now, I realize it's probably not um, a real popular sentiment at this point because I think the way that he goes about his business may not be um, the most popular. Because uh, I think a lot of times the eye test is not pretty, meaning – you know, when you watch Harrison Bader play, it looks like he's running through a wall every night, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just he just goes 100 miles an hour, and that's just the way it looks. And sometimes that's not – it's just not the way it looks with Dexter Fowler. Kind of glides to a ball. It's just not – it's just a different way that he goes about his business, and I think it turns people off. And if 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 uh, 
Harrison Bader was putting up those kind of numbers, I think it'd be easier to swallow for some fans. But it's not. It's been Dexter Fowler, and Dexter Fowler signed a massive contract. And with those contracts, there's massive expectations, and he just has not lived up to it. So if you can get back to somewhat of where he was in his first year with the Cardinals, and certainly if you can get back to where he was in his final year with the Cubs, you've got a very productive player. And also you have something that the Cardinals need, which is a left-handed bat in the lineup. Um, now, again, I realize that that may not be a popular sentiment at this point because of the year that Fowler had. But, again, you've got three years and a lot of money left on that deal. And if you're the Cardinals, you got to try to get the most you can out of that contract. Dan, I'm curious, uh, moving to players who are actually on the roster now, I'm curious as to what your take is on Alex Reyes and what the club's plan for him is moving forward. Obviously, um, the talent is there. We know the talent is there. What is also there, though, is a rash of uh, arm injuries. And, um, you know, we had a lot of people with expectations, you know, going into this year for him. Um, Obviously, you know, he did get hurt. But what are you hearing from the club as far as what they're planning to do with him moving forward? Well, I, I think you got to handle him with kid gloves, and I can only go on what I'm told. And this is why I think the Cardinals maybe are more optimistic about their season right now as the team is constructed than others. Because if they go into spring training healthy, and if they come out of spring training healthy – i.e. Alex Reyes, Dakota Hudson, Jack Flaherty, uh, man, they they are loaded with pitching. And it's some of the best young pitching in all of baseball. So, uh, you know, my what I've been told is that he goes in uh, with a full offseason conditioning, throwing a baseball, doing everything that, that he would have done, whether or not, you know, he finished up the season the way he did. So if he was you know, finished up in October, uh, you know, in the rotation, he goes into this off season, just like he did not in the rotation, meaning that he goes in, um, you know, his conditioning playing catch probably right now, amp it up after <coughs> the Christmas, uh, holiday season. And then after the first of the year, probably reports down to Jupiter. If he's not already there, I'll, I'll find out more on Monday and, uh, and competes, uh, competes for one of those five spots. So, you know, uh, I think there's so much excitement with him, um, and it's been so frustrating because I, I know him on a personal level. I, I met him, guys, when um, – and to give you – I don't want to bore you here. If I no, 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 not at all. So I, I, I met him when the Cardinals <clears throat> first brought him um, to Jupiter. He was part of this uh, Young Guns program, essentially, and Young Prospects program, and – what I, I do some some work for the Cardinals in production for radio spots and TV spots. And so in early spring training, I get put in the minor league um, locker room. And so to make a long story short, that's where we go uh, because that's the only space that we have to do a lot of our like green screens with the players and stuff like that. And so the early high-end prospects are there. And that's where I met probably five years ago, a young Alex Reyes and just struck up a conversation with him. And I had no idea who he was. And I said, how you doing? I'm Dan. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm Alex Reyes. Nice to meet you. And just, you know, we just started talking. And every year in spring training, hey, Alex, what's going on? And so every year I've always, you know, talked to him. And so this year and last year and through his, you know, rehab, just always just chatting in the clubhouse and, finding out how his family's doing and how his kids doing. And, and, you know, it's been very tough to watch him, what he's gone through because it's a painstaking uh, process for a player to go through. It's brutal when they go through Tommy John and it's so boring for those guys because they feel great. Like their arm feels awesome and they feel like they're a hundred percent and they're not. The doctor says, you got to pull the reins back. I know you feel great, but you can't go throw from 60 feet, go throw from 80 feet, go throw from a hundred don't get on a mound. Throw 10, 10 throws today from 50 feet. I mean, it's just it's just arduous. And so I've had the chance to know him and watch him go what you know through what he's been through. And the various things that he's gone through have been brutal. And he is an elite talent. He's an incredible, incredible talent. And unfortunately, 
our fans have only seen just a really small glimpse of how good he is going to be. And I, I just hope that he has a healthy year and that people can see it and that he can get through it and that everybody can see what he's all about because he is really special. I mean, like ridiculously special um, to the point, like when you're excited about Albert Pujols, when he was a guy coming through, he's the equivalent of the pitching Albert Pujols. That's how good he is. So I can understand why the Cardinals pitching wise are so excited about what they have with Hudson Flaherty and this kid coming through and some of the others that they have to where if they can just supplement that with, with what they might do this offseason, it could be a really, really good year next season. <clears throat> Dan, it's kind of my job to ask stupid, silly questions, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do that hey, now. Yeah, i got a couple myself. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go first. <laughs> So when, I don't want to bore people with you know the baseball talk. Oh so. yeah, that, no. does that happen to people in St. Louis getting bored no. with baseball talk? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Good, Dan. When you and I first met, we first met about twenty years ago down at uh, I guess it would have been Keel Center. Uh, we were both uh, young pups. I was working for the Edwardsville Intelligencer, for, uh, writing blue stories, and I think you were doing stuff for Fox Sports Midwest and Camel X. But you would go down to the end of the press box and you would practice the play-by-play of the Blues game into a tape recorder. Do you still have those tapes? Will they ever be made public, and when, and where, and when can we hear them? <laughs> so that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I would love to make them public if I can find them. So, oh, wow. Uh, I, uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is Bob McCormick is, is a friend of mine. He's the head coach at Priory. He then was the head coach at CBC, and so this is probably maybe 25 years ago. I did the state championship game when he won with Larry Hughes and, and Justin Tatum. Or is it Jay? No, Justin Tatum was Larry's teammate. Yes. And I'm still in my mom's basement trying to find those tapes. But I do have old sports casts when I was at KMOX. So I was on the air when I was 20 at KMOX. And um, I would stay up till 4 in the morning because I had the privilege of doing – the 515 and the 545 sportscast on KMOX uh, Saturday mornings. And I uh, still have those somewhere in my mom's basement. So I have been trying to dig those up. They're on reel to reel. And if I can find them, I'd be more than happy to make them public. I'm not, awesome. I don't care. We would love, yeah, I'd, I'd love, love to hear. I would love to hear, Dan. I would too. I mean, I, I, all, I can, all I can imagine, I said, I hope you have play-by-play of Owen Nolan shooting on Roman Turek from center ice and, and Roman totally missing it. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I was doing baseball at that time. Were you? That might have been like my first year doing baseball, which was probably embarrassing, you know, my first year doing it. But thank <laughs> God Fox stayed with me, but yes, I do have some old tapes of somewhere. I got to find them though. I have one. I have one quick follow up. Um, yes. Do you still do that? Do you still practice from time to time, or do you do you still practice your craft to you know, go go watch a game and just kind of do it into a tape recorder and do the play by play into a tape recorder? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've already mastered it. I mean, come on. Well, yeah. I mean, you, very succinct answer. Yeah. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. I call 162 effing games a year. I'm yeah, not going to do it any more than I have to. He's probably Dan. You're probably done tired talking to people by the end of the uh, baseball season. I'd imagine. I get paid for this stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I want to ask you, you've been part of some memorable games across, you know, a variety of sports. I mean, you're talking to three guys who are not only, you know, supporters of you, but big fans of yours. Um, I'm not. I, I don't, I don't like it. Except for all. Hanselman. Right. Uh, that's, that's okay. Hanselman's a hater. <laughs> I'm curious Get to know. <laughs> I'm curious to know what's been some what's been the you know what has been some of your favorite calls that you've made over the years some of your favorite moments that you've been able to be a part of um mostly they're, they're calls that are important to me because I like the individual and you know you're not supposed to be like biased but my favorite was Matt Holliday's home run in what what is what was supposed to be is what 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 I thought was his final at bat in St. Louis. Yeah, um, it was a great call. The, yeah, it was an awesome call. And subsequently he did have an at bat uh the next day and got a base hit, but we were privy to the fact those of us around the club that we knew the club had an option on his contract. Uh we knew he was not going to come back. They were not going to pick that up and they were just trying to figure out a way 
to get him in a game and they were mathematically alive and he had not, you know, face live pitching, um, for weeks and they got him in the game and he hit a home run and he had tears in his eyes and it was just an unbelievable moment. And, uh, that is by far my favorite because I knew that he had visited kids in hospitals that no one knew about, um, and the countless work that he did for the city, uh, and that was very, very important to me. And I, I, I just, I love the guy. I, I just think he's a, an amazing guy. I would love to see him come back. I know he wants to come back. I've been told he'd like to come back, um, and whether it's in St. Louis or, or somewhere else, but play another hey, year. Um, so we'll see if that, uh, I, I haven't heard that from him. But I've heard from other people. Um, and we'll see if that happens. But that was my favorite call that, uh, that I've ever had. How often? Or none. How often do you think about how you would call David Freeze's home run in Game Six of the 2011 World Series? Not that Joe Buck had a bad one; quite the contrary, he had a great one, and it was an amazing tribute to his father. But how would a Dan McLaughlin call sound like for that home run? Um, I may have died. <laughs> <laughs> may have, there, there may there may have been cardiac arrest. There may have been. Uh, there may have been a blowout of my microphone. Uh, there may have been uh, TVs exploding <laughs> through screaming, and I, I would have lost my mind. I would have gone absolutely bonkers. Um, I really wish the hometown teams, broadcasters, had a chance to do postseason play. I think the fans would love it. Oh, I, yeah. I think the fans wish they had it. Um, not to say that Joe doesn't do a great job. He does. He does a wonderful job. Um, but it's unfortunate. I think, you know, we're there for six months and then we're gone, but I, I would have loved to have done it. I would have loved to have done many moments, but we don't get the chance. Say la vie. It, it is what it is. Uh, but no, I, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I would have gone nuts. I go nuts on a lot of calls anyway. I, I call it like a fan. I don't worry about it anymore. I used to worry about it in my younger days and now I call it out of pure entertainment. I it's my job is to entertain and that's how I do it. My job is to make this fun for you at home, and that's how I hope that people come away. I hope they say, man, that guy's having fun, and he's made it fun for me at home to listen to the game. And, and that's how I do it. And speaking of Joe Buck, he back in 1994, he was calling a football game. It was a Packers game. And he once called a Brett Favre touchdown at halftime while he was urinating in a trash can because he had to go so bad and the half wouldn't end. So while Brett Favre was completing the pass, Joe Buck was peeing in a trash can. Now, you have to have some great mm-hmm. tales from the booth working with Al Hobrowski and Ricky Horton and Jim Edmonds and Brett, uh, Brad Thompson and Tim McCarver. Let, let, let's, let's get a good uh, broadcast booth story. Well, I, I mean, I've missed plays because I've had, I mean, nature calls, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, like, I go, I'm like, the stage is yours, guys. I got to go. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I got to go. But if the game is on the line, don't think that my leg isn't like going up and down at least, <laughs> you know, boo, 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 you know, I, I try to hold it as much as I can. And then I'm like, I got to go. Um, I have not yet, uh, you know, picked up a trash can and, you know, relieve myself there but i'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility (laughs) you know you get tired you know you're on a road trip and you get in a city at four and you know you're you're at the ballpark early and and i pound coffee so uh, on some of those games so um yeah i mean absolutely i can understand where joe's coming from um but that has not happened to me yet (laughs) knock on wood but I totally understand where Joe is coming from. You could totally. you could have worked that into the David Freeze uh, the, <laughs> the David yeah. Freeze home run called Freeze just entered the game and I just pooped into the trash can. He <laughs> would have pooped his pants at that there moment. We go. Exactly, it could happen. Why not? <laughs> I guess to wrap things up. Unless you guys have any more questions. I don't. Could, I was getting ready to. Like, I mean, we could, we could talk to Danny for oh, yeah, we could. Could talk we another hour. He's a busy man. I'm sure he's got every, things to do. Every year you uh, you say hello to, uh, I believe it's the Dotum family, Dennis and Denise and their son, Deke. Do you, do you know this famous Deke Dotum? Um, I mean, I, I, I've heard of him. I, I just, I, 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 I want to know what you know about Deke Dotum. Well, I, of course I follow Deke on on. Uh, social media uh i find him to be a 
a very fine young man. Uh, I see his Twitter feed. I see who he tweets at. There seems to be uh, an uprising by some in the media that they find him not to be the upstanding fine fellow that I find him to be. Yeah, that's and, Doug Vaughn. Doug Vaughn. Uh, his parents are wholesome. And they are just a <laughs> fine family that I I find to be very nice, uh, very, very respectful, and I have nothing but respect for them, and I've got nothing but the, the utmost respect for these people. Well said. Very, very wholesome. Very wholesome people. Well said, sir. Dan McLaughlin from Fox Sports Midwest, where you catch him throughout the St. Louis Cardinals baseball season doing the play-by-play. Now he does play-by-play for your St. Louis University. Bill Ken's also on Fox Sports Midwest. The podcast is Scoops with Danny Mac. You can download it at scoopswithdannymac.com. You can follow him on Twitter at TV. Dan McLaughlin, this has been a, a, real, uh, a real treat for us. We appreciate your time Time, sir, and we look forward to having you on again soon. Anytime, guys. Love it. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Dan. Thanks, Dan. You've been listening to the Last Man Up podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Last Man Up Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Burger. You can follow Clay at Ton of Clayton. And you can follow Andy at Emo6. Speaking of Andy Hanselman, he's got the top five trending topics in the world of sports. Mike Greenberg says Baker Mayfield's agent should demand a trade. And for the good of the sport, the Browns should let him go. Can you demand no. a trade as a rookie? Well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, for, on a on a two and six football team, that, that that Browns team honestly isn't that bad. They're young. No, they have talent. They, they have, have talent. talent. They got talent on both sides of the ball. And Baker Mayfield doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to run away from the challenge. Right. And Mike Greenberg probably wants him traded to the goddamn Jets because that's all Mike Greenberg can talk about. So no, veto, veto. I say number four, Stephen A. Smith. Says the Chargers will lose because of the cold, just like in War of the Worlds, which had nothing to do with temperature. No, it did not. It had more to do with bacteria and germs. I don't even. That's such a uh. yeah. I, the <laughs> reference is that the, uh, the the cold weather will doom the Chargers' chances of winning the AFC. Well, I mean, I, I don't think they're good enough to beat the Chiefs. They're a good team. I think they're a good team. They might, they're going to get a wild card. They're, yeah, they're not going to win the division. No, but I mean, I'm trying to think. So, like other AFC teams are. Can they go to Pittsburgh and beat the Steelers? Probably not. No. They're not going to go to New England and beat the Patriots. But that's not because of the cold. No. It's because of mean, the talent. Like, I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't even know if they'd be able to go down to Houston and beat the Texans as well as the Texans are playing now. Yeah. Number three, Bill Simmons argues for a patently illegal play. Bill Simmons tweets, I love how Buck and Smoltz are completely ignoring that Kinsler scores on that play if he bowls over the catcher or does even... Uh, a half decent head first slide. That throw was six feet off. So well, I'm not, I'm not sure, sure. I'm not sure what he's. To. I'm not sure what he's talking about either. Uh, but Bill Simmons. I mean, the Red yeah, Sox he, won the World Series. Just be happy. And shut he up. feels that like he's an authority on everything, and that's particularly funny. And it's particularly funny when he's arguing for something that's clearly wrong. That happened during the World Series, where he not only advocated for Red Sox player Ian Kinsler to bowl over the catcher, but criticized Fox announcers Joe Buck and John Smoltz for not even discussing and the see, idea. This World, is, World Series is over, guy. And this is why. I, this is why I can't stand Bill Simmons. I used to be a big Bill Simmons fan when he was writing for Page. On ESPN.com, his mailbag was always hysterical. It was so funny. He's a funny guy. And then he got a little too full of himself. He went out to Hollywood and was Jimmy Kimmel's head writer for Jimmy Kimmel Live for a little bit. Yep. And then he started Grantland on ESPN.com, and now he's got The Ringer. And there's a lot of great stuff on The Ringer. And when, oh, yeah. I was, when I was on 590, I had a lot of guests from The Ringer, and they were all great. But Bill Simmons is annoying. Doug Gottlieb wonders if NBA Comeback Player of the Year has already been decided after Derrick Rose's 50-point night says Rose <laughs> may be the feel-good story of the season. Well, it, there's it a, has there's, to be. Okay, it's so far, but the season's yeah, so young. There's a lot of basketball left to be played. Yeah. That was a great thing. There was a great moment for Derrick Rose. I yep. felt great for the kid. I can't imagine how frustrated he is with how his career has gone. Yep. I mean, he went from MVP candidate to one tore-up knee to two tore-up knees yep. to people questioning his heart on whether or not he even wanted to play anymore because yep. of some of the comments that he made, bouncing from team to team to team, and then to drop a 50-point game uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves right. and, and the tears in his eyes. I can't imagine how great that felt. But uh, as far as comeback player of the year goes, might be a little premature. No, I, it's way too early. Phil Mushnick's sick and disturbing comments 
on the Michigan-Michigan State pregame shenanigans. ESPN's demolitionists went to work Saturday afternoon when its college football studio aired footage of a pregame Michigan-Michigan State turf war that resembled a prison yard riot on the boil prior to the start of the sanctioned turf war between hate-fueled, adult-guided student-athletes. When the group hassle ended, Michigan linebacker Devin Bush ripped free of his teammates' restraints and, like a crazed, escaped beast, ran to the field or ran to the on-field Michigan State logo to tear and scrape at it with his cleats. Disturbing. Sick. Pre-football game fights are always the dumbest thing in the history of sports. They're always dumb, and people always overreact to it. And then someone just gets embarrassed usually like someone either gets their ass kicked in the actual fight or they go out and put up 60 points on something now there are some that are really bad there was one a few years ago i think it was between miami and fiu or fau one of those other smaller schools in south florida there was a big brawl between that and one of the announcers got fired because he, I mean, he was a former hurricane right and he wanted to go down there and participate in the brawl and after he said that, he got uh, he got let go. Much yeah, but Clay, you're right. I mean, like these pregame football fights, fi- that, that's not new. fighting in really any sport. I mean, I'm thinking about all the best fights that I've seen in any sports. Look at the best baseball fight I've seen is the Cardinals at Cincinnati when Chris Carpenter uh, uh, was it Chris Carpenter with the cleats to Brandon Phillips or vice versa. That was no. It was it was uh, Johnny Cueto with the cleats to, that's right. uh, to, to Jason Larue. To, to Jason, Jason Larue totally jacked that one up. Yeah, and then, uh, and that's then, okay. That's that's uh, why everybody in St. Louis hates Johnny Cueto. And then we have um, the brawl at the Palace, Mouse at the Palace, Mouse at the, the, the Palace, the Pistons and the Pacers. And I just think like they're all just so dumb, so dumb. Never My get, favorite is the uh, St. Patrick's Day Massacre between the Blues and Blackhawks oh, back well, in 1991. Hockey fighting is allowed, so that's okay. No, this was insane. Like, yeah, there, this, at this one was point, really not, not like, to that level. But there were like 11 Blackhawks players on the ice at one point against five Blues players. But it's it, it only because earlier in the game, there were, there were about nine Blues players against four Blackhawks players. Speaking, speaking of the Blues very quickly... How long before they fire Mike Yo and try to hire Joel Quinville? <laughs> that should be on. That should be on hot takes of the week. I would do it right now <laughs> if I'm the Blues. I would call Joel Quinville and I would get if there's any kind of inclination that he wants to come back to the Blues. Then my second call is to Mike Yo to tell him that he's fired. <sighs> it's just early. It's no, so it's not. <clears throat> no, you just do it. I would do just it. Do, Rip the bandaid off. Cut Rip, the, Rip it off. Cut, it, Rip cut it, the cord. Cut the cord. Because, I mean, has this Blues team, have they underachieved so far this year? Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're not going to be able to completely overhaul the roster. So what's the easiest thing right. to do? You need to you need to overhaul the roster because they keep pissing off coaches. They pissed off Andy Murray. They pissed off Davis Payne. They pissed off Ken Hitchcock. And now they've pissed off Mike Yo. I mean, and it's the same core group of guys. So you got to get rid of the guys or you got to bring in the different head coach and make it all work. Obviously, changing coaches is not changing what this team does because they've done it six times yep. in the past ten years. Okay, well, Ken, Ken Hitchcock has won what one Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars. Mike Yo has won none. Um, who are the other head coaches that they were kind of ran off? Andy Murray. Andy Murray, Andy Davis Murray hasn't won any. Davis Payne hasn't won any. Joel Quinville's won three. So if you're Joel Quinville, you walk in. The first thing you do is and you he take, won one before he came here too as an assistant in Colorado. Okay, but I mean, like as a head coach, what you do if you're Joel Quinville is you walk in with those three rings that you won with the Chicago Blackhawks. You put them all down on the table and be like, "Listen, if you guys want to win one of these things, you knock the shit off and you follow me." Now I'm inspired, I'm ready to run through a brick wall. That's right how now, you do burger. it. <laughs> make Matt Burger <laughs> head coach. Yeah, before. make Matt Burger. That's how, that's how Pat Riley got LeBron. <laughs> That's how Pat Riley got LeBron. He he went to Cleveland and he took out all of his rings that he won with the Lakers and the one he won when he was the head coach with the Heat in two thousand six. Hart laid them all on the table and he said, "If you want to win one of these, you come down to Miami and you play with me." Hard to argue against that. I think Pat. If there was a woman who was nine months pregnant, I would expect Pat Riley to knock that woman up still. Wow, that's well, how, I mean that's that's how good I think he's got some strong swimmers. That's how good of a negotiator I think Pat Riley is. Be like, no, your baby is going at a different time. This is gonna be my baby. Deep thoughts from from Matt Berger. Thank you. <laughs> that brings a conclusion to the show. Hope everybody had a good one. Thanks to Danny Mack. What a guest for joining us. What a guest. Make what sure you guess. make sure you get his uh, his podcast Scoops with Danny Mack at scoopswithdannymack.com and follow him on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. And we will see you on the other side. Everybody have a great day.